Marinero, the sick podcast recording on this Thursday, October 6th, just a couple of hours before the Canadians will play the Ottawa Senators in preseason. Is this going to be the final audition or will all players get a couple of games to show what they can do still when October 12th comes around? Will Jacki still be with the Canadians? Will Slavkoski still be with the Canadians? And what are the lines going to look like when the season opens up? And for the first time since the interim tag has been taken off, Marty St. Louis is starting to face a little bit of criticism from the media in Quebec. Warranted or not, we discuss this and so much more with Eric Engels of Sportsnet coming up on the Sick Podcast. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. Now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadiens win the Stanley Cup. Sports entertainment like no other. Brought to you by 8.6 Beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the Cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you all right marinero once again brought to you by 8.6 beer intense by nature the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark and lacage if the last time you went to lacage was when the habs won the cup it's time you go back to lacage the menu will surprise you joining me to talk montreal canadians hockey just a couple of hours before their preseason game versus the ottawa senators eric engels a sports now what's going on how you doing tony good how are you Excellent, man. Looking forward to this camp wrapping up. Yeah, uh, you and and everyone else. It has been long, hasn't it? It has. As you can tell, I'm not in Gander, Newfoundland, though. Uh, I anticipate that it's going to be quite a special event for the people that are out there. And when they move on to Booktush, that'll be nice for those people, too. And we're going to get some sort of semblance of what this team is going to look like. So what do you make of the lines going into this second-last preseason game versus the Ottawa Senators? I honestly have no idea what to make of it. Like it's, um, I would have thought Martin St. Louis would take the last two games here as a real opportunity to form some chemistry within his lines and um, give the team a full sample, a, a couple of games at least, to gel together and, and show what they could do line after line and the type of formation that they'd be in when the regular season starts. Clearly not the case tonight, and obviously part of that has to do with Nick Suzuki not being there, but you know, you're seeing certain experiments. We already know that Dvorak and Gallagher are going to be a duo. We know that Suzuki and Caulfield are going to be a duo. Martin St. Louis said after the last game, he's not quite sure who he's going to play with Kirby Doc, And so we know it's not going to be Gallagher who's playing there tonight. It's I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I really see, obviously, that what, what I would make out of it is that tonight really is the last audition for some of the people who you can put question marks next to their names. All right. So Suzuki is going to play center. Dvorak's going to play center. That leaves... Um, Jake Evans, Sean Monahan, and Kirby Doc. Which one of the three will play wing on opening night, October twelfth? I mean, take your choice. Like, I think it's probably going to be Monahan, and if it is Monahan, maybe he's a guy who's playing with Kirby Doc. Um, and then you can kind of mitigate the lefty-righty combination. Um, you know, the the, the face-off circle situation. Kirby Doc hasn't been bad in the face-off circle, although he was last year, obviously. We all know it's been a widely reported story. 
uh, through preseason, he's been pretty decent in the face-off circle. But if you have a guy like Sean Monaghan next to him, um, they can kind of switch off playing center and wing, and it doesn't really matter all that much in the system, right? Like, it's, it really goes based on who the first four checker is and who the first back checker is, and things tend to get mixed up. So I think that's one way of dealing with it. I like Jake Evans up the middle, um, and I like his chemistry with Rem Pitlick, and I expect those two are going to be on a line together. So you've got some of the duos sorted out here. So, again, you know, looking through the lineup that you see uh, in preparation for the game in Gander, uh, you're looking really at audition night for guys like Slavkovsky for the entire young defense, right? Like you've got Barron, um, you know, Jack Guy uh, is in there, even Leskinen and, and Madison Bowie are in there. So I think people are still auditioning for jobs here. Speaking of audition, if we have to go strictly on hockey auditions, not that it matters and not that anyone's putting any extra pressure on him. It's just saying things the way they are, right? I think you would agree that if it was – if last game with with uh, Suzuki and Caulfield was an audition, it was not a successful one for Slavkowski. So now perfect. Now that we got that out of the way and we don't think that he'll be their winger on opening night, my question to you is that of all the other duels that we talked about, who do you think he would complement the best or – um, they would complement him the best? It's it's a really good question. I'm not entirely sure how to answer it because I'm just not sure he's going to be here when opening night comes around. I, you know, if it was up to me, and I've said this kind of from the beginning of camp, I don't really care what happens in the preseason and exhibition. I don't think it is the best possible environment to make a full evaluation on what Slavkovsky is and what he can do at this level. Um, I'm not saying that you throw out the evaluation that you've made on him through these games and what he's shown. You know, it's been up and down. It's been inconsistent. It's been a guy who's playing for the first time on North American ice at this speed, at this level, knowing that the speed is going to ramp up. You know, he mentioned himself that he was a little uncomfortable in trying to prove certain things about himself instead of just playing his game. When he finally settled down and relaxed, he played his best one, and then he plays back-to-back and ends up on a line with Suzuki and Caulfield and just didn't seem to have the energy. You know, I've spoken to scouts about this kid, um, you know, what they see, at least one of them that I was talking with said, you know, you can just tell that despite the fact that he's six foot four, 238 pounds, physically he's not quite there yet. And maybe it's just an adjustment period for him. And you got to see what he's going to be able to do, um, you know, as, as he moves along and gets a little bit more experience under his belt. And like I started with, if it was up to me, he'd be here for at least a few games in the regular season to make that full evaluation. Uh, especially knowing his history, right? Like this kid yeah. went to the Olympics and he was on the fourth line for Slovakia and he finished the tournament on the first line and leading the tournament in scoring. Correct. Uh, he went to the world championships, same exact story. Uh, he just has a history, and this is why he was drafted first overall, of adapting, adjusting, and stepping up his game when the games matter. So I want to see him when the games matter at this level, and I want to see what that produces. As for who the best line mates would be for him in order to do that. Um, you know, maybe it's a couple of quick guys. Maybe maybe it's Evans and Pitlick. Maybe that would be an interesting opportunity uh, where you play him in a sheltered role. He's seeing a bit less minutes, but it's not the traditional fourth line role where it's just a few grinders out there. These are two skilled guys who can produce offense as they've shown throughout the preseason. Maybe that's an opportunity to test out Slavkovsky for a few more games before deciding, okay, is he going to stick with us continue NHL practices, playing games when we need him to, and 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 have his tutelage that way? Or are we going to send him to Laval uh, off the hop? I, I don't like the optic. I don't know about you, Tony. 
of going out on a limb, choosing him first overall when there was a consensus pick and chain right for a number of years leading up mm-hmm. to the draft, and immediately sending him back to Laval before even seeing what he can do at this level. And I mean this real level and not what preseason and next Eric, game. I can't if I can, especially yeah. if Shane Wright ends up starting the season in Seattle because then everyone's going to come out again and say, you know what, you see, I told you they screwed up. Shane Wright is playing in the National Hockey League. Slavkovsky's playing in the HL. The Canadians screwed up. And Kent Hughes can tell as many people as he wants that it's not about having the best player at 18. It's about having the player who's going to end up playing the best throughout you know, his career. They're still going to be criticized heavily for it. At the same time, if they choose to send them to Laval, knowing that they're going to be criticized but if deep down inside that's what they think is the best kid for the kids the best thing for the kids development well then good for them for not being swayed by public opinion and actually taking a decision in that regard a shout out if i can't the sportbuffshop.com shop all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel including hoodies caps t-shirts your favorite teams all major leagues as well as our sick merchandise as you can see if you're watching i'm wearing the is it 10 p.m yet Use code SICK10 for 10% off on all their items and reminding you that as of Tuesday, October 11th, the SICK podcast is going weeknights starting at 10 p.m. And yes, on many nights, it will coincide with the end of the Montreal Canadiens hockey game. We have a list of collaborators who will join us on a regular basis. We're very happy to say that Eric here, Eric Engels from Sportsnet, is one of those collaborators We are set up to take calls, and in some cases, it's even going to be video calls. This podcast is going to be different, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Eric, after I made my comment about, you know, the Canadians, they're not going to worry if they slend Slavkovsky uh, to Laval. You know, they'll cope with the criticism and stuff like that. Look like you wanted to to, to chime in. Go ahead. Yeah, just to say, you know, optics don't necessarily match reality, but they are optics, and they can't be ignored. They are real, and you're right. There are fans, at least half of them, that are going to say, we knew they should have taken Shane Wright, and this kid's not ready, and this is a warning sign and a trigger sign. Um, the other half will say, well, look at the Canadians. They don't care about the optics, and they don't care what, what anybody else has to say if the decision ends up being to send Slavkovsky to Laval right away. I think he's going to play games in Laval at some point this season. Again, if it's me, before I send him there, I want to see what he can actually do at this level, and I don't think the preseason is the proper environment to necessarily make a full evaluation. I, and look – Maybe there's some scouts out there that have watched him already and said, no, he's not ready. And maybe there's some players on the team or some some people in management or the coaching staff that are saying, nah, he's not ready. But maybe there's some people that think about it the same exact way I do, which is that this is not the best simulation of what he actually is. So I don't know where he fits best in the lineup. Uh, he's been kind of all over it. It's And again, that kind of factors in also in terms of the evaluation, because when you don't have time to practice and build chemistry with certain line mates, it's going to skew the way you play and what your chemistry is with them in an actual game. So we'll see what he does tonight. It's an interesting line he's playing on with Anderson on the other side, a couple big bodies. And he said himself that he looks up to Josh Anderson and just read the, the advice that he's getting from him resonates because they're two big guys who play similar styles of hockey. So you got to keep giving this kid a chance, give him every opportunity to make the best impression he possibly can. And we'll see what the decision ends up being, because at the end of the day, some of these injuries that have happened might open the door for him sticking around a little longer. Yeah. Um, Arbor Jacki, speaking of sticking around when October 12 comes around, will he be there? Um, look, I Kent Hughes had everyone open their eyes about a year ago when he brought up Jacki's name, when it looked like no one else or sounded like, no one else was talking about him, but 
He has impressed at camp. Unfortunately for him, he's not a righty, but Justin Barron, who is, uh, has not been overly impressive. So does Jack I stick around? You know, it's really going to depend on what their evaluation is on Leskinen, um, who's a kind of under-the-radar name on Schooneman, who I don't think has performed quite to the level that we saw last year, but is an easy choice as a seventh defenseman and a guy with a lot of professional experience that you wouldn't necessarily want to expose on waivers and potentially lose. Uh, if they feel they could sneak him down, potentially they would. Same thing with Leskinen, right? So those are factors in this decision. Um, the fact that they don't necessarily have to have seven defensemen on the team to start makes the race even more compelling because they've got a home-heavy schedule, right? They, they have those games in Detroit and Washington, but they're really home for first couple weeks of the season and don't necessarily need more than six defensemen available to them, which might allow them to keep a couple more forwards. And knowing what the situation is at forward, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, Jack Eye specifically... I think I've come on your podcast, I've come on every radio show I've done. To me, I look at this race, I see Caden Gooley head and shoulders above the rest of the guys. He's, to me, locked into a spot in Montreal, and I doubt mm-hmm. he'll even spend a minute in Laval this year. Um, Harris uh, and Barron and Jack Guy are somewhat in the same category as players that will play games in Montreal this year and will likely play games in Laval too. If I'm looking at it just purely from who's most ready to start October 12th, I have Jack Eye above the other two guys. The other factor for me is Joel, so Ed- do I. Joel Edmondson's health. It's it's not there right now. He's day-to-day um, and out indeterminately because he's got a back injury, and one day he might show up to the rink and feel great, and the next day he might feel like he's back at step one, and that we saw a lot of that last year. I hope it doesn't bleed into the season as long as it did for Edmondson last year for his personal health. But he brings an element here that nobody else on the blue line has. Even a guy like David Savard, who's a big body and weighs quite a bit and and is quite heavy, doesn't play a heavy game. That's not to say that he's soft or anything. He's not a soft defenseman. Um, He's willing to engage physically and all that. But nobody brings the dynamic to this blue line that Jack I quite has. Even Gooley, who can play a physical game to a degree, it's not the same thing. This guy can stand up for his teammates. He can lay out big hits. He can handle people in front of the net and in the corners. Um, he's learning. We've seen a bit of hesitance in his game and puck moving in the last couple of games, but I think some of that boils down to just how much he's played. Like if you go back to rookie camp through this training camp, he, I don't think anybody's played more preseason hockey than he has, uh, and, and a lot of it in succession. But, yeah, I see a physical dimension and a mental preparedness and a dynamic kind of game from him. And not just the physical side, Tony. Like, you would agree. This yeah. is good in tight spaces. He has good puck-moving ability. He's good on the offensive blue line in. Uh, he can shoot the puck. We've seen him score goals. He's a he's a pretty well-rounded defenseman. And I think I like Harris's camp so far. He's skating yeah. really well, although I'm not sure about his decision-making quite being up to where it needs to be at the speed that it needs to be at. Barron, I think the competition has just gotten to him a little. I think it's been yeah. much more mental than it has been anything else in his game because he has all the skills and the ability to be a really good defenseman. He just might not be ready yet. And and I, that's not to say he won't be ready in two months from now. Yeah. Every minute. So for me, it's Jack Eye above the others. I, I think Jack Eye is a mean Ben Sherratt. I mean, that's the kind of player that I, I find he kind of moves like Sherratt. I find his wrist shot kind of looks like Sherratt. And a friend of mine told me the other day, he says, uh, hey, I like your comparison that you said a mean Ben Sherratt. He goes, for me, he says, he's kind of like plays like Sherratt, but when the wires touch, he reminds me of Surrey. I said, okay, that's that's not too bad. All right. 
Marty Saint. I like. I, before you move on, I like the comparison too. So does Jack Eye. These are two guys that went to the same high school in Hamilton, and uh, Sherrod has taken Jack Eye under his wing. Did last year at camp. Um, I, I don't. I don't even think you need to call him a mean Ben Sherrod because Ben Sherrod's a pretty mean player himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the comparison is really there, and not just because they're big and physical. Because I I, I I hated saying I hated people saying about Ben Sherrod. Oh, he skates pretty well for a guy his size. That guy skates exceptionally well, period. He's a really, really good skater. Never got the credit for it. When he first came to Montreal, people were like, oh, he's the next Carl Alsner, which is one of the dumbest things that people said. And they said the same thing about Joel Edmondson. And, well, they were wrong. Um, and not, with no disrespect to Carl Alsner, who was very good for his career until he came to Montreal and just was, you know, injuries caught up and wasn't able to move the same way. But He got old fast. Yeah, he got old fast. Ben Chirot moves really well, and and one of the things about Ben Chirot that we learned in his time in Montreal is very unheralded from the offensive blue line in, has real offensive abilities, and he generates it through his skating, and Jack Eye does it the same way. I wrote an article on Sportsnet.ca talking to Ben Chirot about Jack Eye uh, earlier in this training camp, and you know these two guys from Hamilton, they, they just all kind of play the same way. Just, they, they grow up in a mean league, and I think this kid is is brimming with confidence and has the ability to play at this level right off the hop. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, comment SICK, S-I-C-K. If you're listening on audio, please leave a five-star review and write SICK, S-I-C-K. It's our way of feeling the love, knowing that you're watching and knowing that you're supporting, which we very much appreciate, of course. For the first time, I, I, wouldn't say, I, I think it started about a week or two ago, okay? It seems like the honeymoon between some members of the media and Marty St. Louis is over. Uh, I know, Eric, because you work French radio and you're a collaborator at BPM Sports on 91.9 FM in Montreal, and um, and you can listen throughout Montreal, Quebec, and the Gatineau area, that you've heard it too from Marty St. Louis juggling his lines way too much, from Marty St. Louis uh, looks like he's set up a hockey school instead of running a hockey team. For Marty St. Louis, you can tell that he coached Pee Wee or Bantam and didn't coach pro before. It seems like a lot of members of the media are starting to bring up St. Louis' record with the fact that Canadians haven't won here in preseason, the fact that they lost the majority of their games when he took over last year. I have a perfect explanation for it. They're not very good. And that's not St. Louis' fault. I have a perfect explanation for it. This team obviously is rebuilding, and there's going to be growing pains. And for the next couple of years, there will be more losses than wins. But some still, whether they accept it or not, have been critical of St. Louis. I'd love to get your reaction to that criticism that he's been facing. Well, to be honest with you, I haven't heard it. So I'm wondering which section of the media we're talking about, because I don't think it's coming from anybody who's on the beat. Am I... Uh, not from anyone who's on the everyday beat. You're right about that. Okay, so we're talking about some. some we're talking radios. about we're talking about collaborators. We're talking about your partner over at BPM. No, uh, okay. he has um, um, not really. I, I wouldn't say that uh, Jean Charles has been uh, critical. He did bring up he did bring up Marty St. Louis' record and okay. said that the record is not very good. Um, Jean Charles is not the president of the Rebuild Fan Club. I am, okay? okay. But it, 
I'm talking about several others. I've talked about him running a hockey school. I've talked about him not winning games. I've talked about, you know, you know, some of the things that he does that maybe you can do in Adam and Pee Wee that you can't do at the National Hockey League level. We're talking about the juggling of the lines. And, you know, Michel Therrien was saying, you know what, if, if I'm Marty St. Louis, you got to start going with, like what you said at the beginning of this conversation, some fixed lines, and he hasn't yet. So for all those reasons and more, he, he's been somewhat contested. Your thoughts on whether some of this criticism that I just brought up in examples and talked to you about is warranted at this stage, yes or no? It is if you're looking at it in the wrong context. Um, you know, we use the word rebuild quite liberally because it's the one we're used to when it comes to breaking down hockey and the management and roster construction. But what the Canadians are really doing, if you want to frame it more accurately, is building. They're in the process of building a team, building a culture, building a new way of doing things from a development standpoint. And Martin St. Louis is very much at the helm of that. Uh, he was hired specifically for that reason, coming specifically from his experience of working with bantam hockey players up to the National Hockey League with his experience as a player that, you know, can be related to by any single player in that room, whether they're a fourth liner or an AHL call-up or a star player like Cole Caulfield or Nick Suzuki. Um, St. Louis has been in their seat and been in their chair. As far as the record is concerned, I think anybody who knows the Canadians well enough knows that they're not expected to be good this year. They just aren't constructed to be good. Um, defense is going to be young. Goaltending is going to be questionable, especially if Jake Allen can't stay healthy as he wasn't able to a year ago. Uh, and this is a building construction phase that they're in. And yes, training camp has been treated as a hockey school of sorts because what they're trying to do is really hone in on the relationship between those important, crucial motor skills and hockey sense and learning the game and mapping it out in a specific way. And look, I, I think when Adam Nicholas spoke a week ago, he might have confused a lot of people with some of the jargon he was using and some of the things he was saying. When I had, I, and I, I think part of the reason why is Adam was so excited to share what he's been doing that he wanted to get it all out as he was answering the questions. When I spoke with him informally at a couple of games um, here in Montreal, he talked about some really brilliant concepts that really tore down some of the age-old philosophies we've had about hockey sense, which is that it can't be taught. Um, he believes it can, but not if you continue to do things the same way. And, and the way he wants to do them differently, and he brought up a really great example, was it, it, it's he draws on the ice. He, he draws specific lines, and he never moves the nets for these small area games. He wants those small area games to be played in the same portions of the ice that you would be playing and attacking in the offensive or defensive zone. And so what he's trying to do is say, you know how when you drive home at the end of the day and you've lived at the same home for 20 years, that you could practically do that drive with your eyes closed, or you could do it with your eyes open and consciously, or I should just more say unconsciously, you can avoid all the potholes that are in the road. As we know, Montreal roads have a lot of potholes in them. But if you drive the same route all the time, you know exactly where each one is and you know exactly when to swerve out of the way. And none of them are going to catch you by surprise as you're on your way home. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create repetitions within specific areas of the ice so that it becomes second nature in your brain. Your brain has a roadmap here. And as you tap into it, without having to think about it, it will take you to the areas, the areas where you need to be in order to execute those skills that you're working on. So they're, they're creating, they're, they're, they're developing and creating habits, habits yeah. that they believe are habits that will prove to be successful going forward. 
And, and you know, if, if the players on paper aren't there, you can have all these habits and you're still not going to win a lot of games. But what they're trying to do, like you said, is build everything, eventually build a competitive team. And by the time they have that competitive team, all these habits will have kicked in and they believe it's going to lead them to going very far. And if you were going to do it, if, if there was ever a time to do it, it's right now when there's no expectations on when, on you, when you're in a situation where if you finish in the bottom five in the league, you have a chance at a generational player, but not just Connor Bedard. Uh, you know, there's scouts that are saying the 15, 20 picks into this draft, you're getting an impact player immediately. This is going to be a draft that may not be on par with the, the best one we ever saw in 2003, but it could be right up there. And so, if I can, why, Eric, if I can, well, well, why not do it, Tony? Why, why not treat it that way? I understand oh. the thing about Marty St. Louis, and he has to have some expectations on him, but why not treat it that way? I'm, I'm all in, Eric, from your mouth to God's ears. And by the way, by the way, for the most part, over the last year, what did we hear? We heard Connor Bedard in terms of the 2023 draft class, we heard Michkoff, we heard Fantilli. Craig Button a couple of days ago threw out a name of a player that he has at number two behind Bedard, which was a guy we weren't talking. So when you talk about generational players, some say that there could be maybe four of them, maybe five in the 2023 draft. And we're talking about a draft, which by all accounts, according to the experts, those who get paid to do this for a living and scout players and have these independent scouting services, we're talking about a draft class that is mentioned in the same sentence as 2003. Tony, how many how many picks did the Canadians have this past summer? Well, you're catching me off guard, but I think it was 13 or 14. It was a lot. Okay, yeah. it was over 10. It was a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, they had a number of picks the year before that, too. And knowing how much draft capital they've had and how important the next two are going to be, if you don't install this type of program right now and start working through the kinks of it and learning from it, this is Martin St. Louis' main task. So yeah. when I say, you know, it's fair for people to criticize them, but they might be looking at it in the wrong context, I think it's because they're looking at it in the context of rebuild and trying to remain competitive and not allow a losing culture to come in, but they're not looking at it in the context of what the main mandate here. It is the thing that has been the biggest failure for the – it wasn't Trevor Timmons who screwed this whole thing up for all no. these years. No. Their development was – not a point of emphasis for this organization. Yes. That's what absolutely needs to be if this is going to work what these people are doing. Case in point, uh, and Trevor Timmons was not perfect. I'm not saying that, okay? Now, he did have an amazing draft in 2007 with McDonough at 12, uh, Pacioretty at 22, and P.K. Subban at 43. Brendan Gallagher in the fifth round, not too shabby. Carey Price at fifth overall, not too shabby. Jake Evans, I think they got him in the seventh round. Yaroslav Alak in the ninth round. Same thing for Mark Streit, by the way. Look, the list goes on and on. Now, did he make some bad picks? A hundred percent. Did somebody else make pick, those picks? Uh, could be. So now, did David Fisher pick be a bad pick? Yes. Was Louis LeBlanc a bad pick? Unfortunately for Louis, it was as well. Yeah, um, that definitely wasn't Trevor's pick. But I'm going to tell you something, though. I would think it was Pierre Boivin's pick. But I will tell you something about player development, case in point. When Trevor drafted by need instead of by best player available, which was probably what he was told to do because they needed it, he drafted by need of size and physicality in Tenorti and in McCarran, and he drafted by need of position in Galchenyuk and in Kokinyemi. 
in those four cases, yes, there were better picks, but the player development failed more than actually taking those players. 100%. I believe that. 100%, and it's been the biggest pitfall of the organization for a long time. And it's not to say that the philosophy that the player is most responsible for his own development is bunk. It's true. You can, as Rob Ramage was saying when we spoke to the development department a week ago, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. These concepts that they're preaching and the attention that these people are paying to their prospects um, will only go so far if that attention span of the prospect himself is not there and if he's not willing to listen to them. Um, There were players within this organization, and I don't want to name names, that would spend more time listening to someone close to them in their own personal uh, outfit than they were the people that were running the team and telling them this is really what's best for you. So you need a willing participant. And Mark Bergman was always right about that. The players ultimately are most responsible for their own development and they need to be able to have an accurate self-assessment of where they're at in the process. But again, what the Canadians are building here, starting with Martin St. Louis, but extending to Adam Nicholas, extending to the analytics department, Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon, John Sedgwick, Uh, the hockey operations division is they're trying to create harmony within all these different departments. They are trying to establish exactly how they want to move forward with their culture uh, and with their program. And that's why they have everyone in on the meetings, by the way, they're all working in unison. And that's how you got to read this training camp. That's, that's what the development Yes, they are 0 and 6. And by the time this video gets released, they could be on their way to being 0 and 7 in the preseason. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, Eric, I think Marty St. Louis might win a game or two for sure. Eric, I think Marty St. Louis, I, I thought this then and I'll think it now for where the Canadians were and where they wanted to go and how they want to get there. I think there was no better hire. I believe that in my heart of hearts and there's no one who's going to change my mind. Yeah, going back to the day he got hired, I was scratching my head saying there's got to be a hundred better hires. Uh, And then he spoke. Then we started to hear what his message was and what he was about. And then we started to think about his specific experience. And, you know, the advantage of him coming from Bantam to the NHL, if it could ever be viewed as an advantage, was the fact that he had to do a lot of teaching. And that's what he's got to do at this level now. And, And hockey is hockey. That's what he said all the way through. And he's right. Um, These players have been doing things in the way it's traditionally been done forever. But that doesn't mean that you can't break that mold and create a new one. That's what they're doing right now. Dominic Ducharme was relieved of his duties some point in the afternoon. I don't know if it was 1.30 or 2 o'clock or 2.30. You would probably remember that. I don't remember that. But what I do remember is on the day that he was relieved of his duties, at around 11 o'clock in the morning, I text a former colleague. And I said, if I'm the Montreal Canadiens, I hire Marty St. Louis right now to be in charge of my player development. Three hours or four hours later, they named them uh, interim head coach. It was pretty funny the way it all went down. Eric, I always love talking Habs with you. And that's why I'm happy to say that you're going to be a full-time collaborator throughout the entire hockey season right here on the Sick Podcast. Have a good one, bud. We'll talk to you soon. I'm happy to do it, too. I love the energy you always bring to the air, and uh, I'm excited for your podcast, excited to be a part of it, and uh, thank you for having me. Could you do me one favor? Sure. Just retweet every time. Thank you, Eric. We'll talk to you soon. He's got a big following on social media, so you can follow him at Eric Engels. Thanks so much, Eric. All right, that's it. Marinero, share the word, spread the word with all your friends about the SICK Podcast starting on Tuesday, October 11. We are going live at 10 p.m., 
on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. It's free on Twitter. Our Twitter account of the sick podcast and on Facebook. Follow our Facebook page. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by 8.6, Intense by Nature, and Lakage. If the last time you went to Lakage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lakage. The menu will surprise you.